When Luton Town completed their extraordinary journey from the National League to the Premier League, many observers believed the Hatters would find the final leap just a bit too tough, that competing in the top flight would be beyond them. At the midway point in the season, Rob Edwards side a third from bottom, but by no means adrift, and they have a game in hand over their relegation battle rivals. This weekend, they face inconsistent Chelsea, so can they collect a big scalp? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. It's that weird period between Christmas and New Year when no one knows what day it is really, when you're vowing to start losing weight, but still stuffing Christmas chocks into your mouth on a regular basis. Delighted to say that Mark O'Hare has emerged from the Bet Cave to give us his wisdom while the rest of the team watches the Only Fools and Horses reruns and tries to find enough batteries for all the new toys. Mark, Chelsea picked up a win over Crystal Palace last time out. But even with the return of Christopher and Kunku from injury, they're not exactly blowing teams away, are they? No, they're really not. Um, you know, he's appeared now for uh, about, uh, what was it, about 90 minutes across the last two games. He came off the bench against Wolves and, and did make a good impact in that particular match. He looked really lively. And then um, I wouldn't say he was underwhelming, but he wasn't quite as influential uh, against Crystal Palace when he was given about an hour from the start, really. Um, you know, Chelsea fans, and I think some Premier League observers believe he's the answer to all Chelsea's problems so far this season. They're expecting him to step up and, and take over the goal-scoring mantle from Nicholas Jackson. I'm not quite sure that will be the case. Um, you'll have seen him much more than I have, but he's much more than just a goal-scorer, and um, he's not going to be leading the line. And so in, in place of Nicholas Jackson, he will be uh, an addition to him but um, he's obviously a, a hugely well he's a, a fantastic player and he will make a big impact for Chelsea but um, I think Chelsea's problems extend far beyond just scoring goals and um, their recent away performances have been really alarming you look at the, the Wolves game for a large part of that Everton Manchester United Newcastle all four have ended in defeats and all four have seen them concede at least two goals in those particular fixtures and defensively is where I have my real issues with, with Chelsea at the minute. It's just one clean sheet since early October, two clean sheets on their travels under Pochettino overall. Um, and, and that's a concern, really. Even against Crystal Palace, they felt quite disjointed to me. I thought Palace were more than good enough to, to get something out of that game and a really kind of rough penalty decision kind of goes against them and, and the game's dead. But um, this is not going to be easy for Chelsea whatsoever. And yet again, they're being priced up at a, a very short price um, away from home uh, against a very difficult to beat Luton side, who I'm glad you referenced it there in the intro, Kev. Uh, they were disrespected, I thought, pre-season. Um, some of the rhetoric By around me them. as well. I must admit, <laughs> well, I, I thought they'd finish bottom. So, yeah. That, I, that's absolutely fine. I mean, I, I've no problem with people predicting them to finish bottom. It's more the, 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 the noise about this is the worst team to ever be promoted to the Premier League. Um, oh, yeah. I would say the, the majority of those people probably never even saw Luton play in the Championship at all last season, bar maybe the playoff final. And I thought that was... I thought that was disrespectful. Um, anyone who saw them in the last 12 months will know this team is supremely organised, very efficient, quite effective. There's a wonderful team spirit and that will get you a long way in football. Um, they've enjoyed a huge amount of hardship 
recently with Tom Lockyer's incident as well. Uh, and it just seems to have strengthened the bond between the players and the, and the management. Um, obviously winning from behind at Sheffield United, I know there was an element of fortune there. It's now two wins on the spin. And all you can ask for at this stage of the season is to be within sort of touching distance of survival, which is where Luton are at right now. But one thing I don't think has been picked up on often enough really is Luton's ability to get on the score sheet um, they are scoring goals consistently um, they may have only scored 21 league goals but that's the same as Manchester United in seventh which is quite a feat um, they yeah. played a, a game less for there's United, something obviously. about United as well doesn't it really <laughs> it, it does um, but even still I mean you look at the the rate of which at which Luton are scoring they've scored in 14 of 18 Premier League games since promotion so they've only failed to score four times at Kenilworth Road they've scored in all bar one of their nine games, which is the same hit rate as Liverpool at Anfield, which is quite extraordinary, really. But what makes that even more special is the schedule. They've already welcomed Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Newcastle, Spurs and West Ham. So you've got six of the top eight coming to Kenilworth Road and they've got that and kind of And they gave them rate. all a game, didn't they? They, they Very pushed so. them all really hard. Absolutely. And I think that's what uh, I've really kind of grown to admire about Rob Edwards and his team is, you know, they, they aren't just... Uh, a bunch of you know well put together a really put well, well put together squad but their their ability to play on the counter attack utilize set pieces the tenacity the physicality in midfield and they are capable from open play as well they've got huge fitness levels workhorses in the middle of the area which makes it very difficult for opposition teams to really sort of stamp their authority on games and i think it's really telling that no team has been to kenilworth road and won by a two goal margin or more despite all those big teams coming to the, to the kenny this season so this is not going to be easy for chelsea um, and I've got two what I think are, are really kind of standout plays from the Premier League from this particular fixture one of which is to back both teams to score which is trading at 183 on the exchange um, despite all that positivity about Luton going forward they still have only kept one clean sheet since promotion Chelsea have scored in seven of nine you've got Nkunku kind of playing his way back into full fitness Cole Palmer and Raheem Sterling were suspended for the Palace game so they're fresh and available which will give them a big boost in forward areas uh, and the BTTS bet has actually won in 13 of Luton's 18 games including seven of nine at the Kenny it's got a six from nine success rate for Chelsea away from home but then also if you go to ex to the exchange and this price has been drifting so you might even get a bigger price or a better line come kickoff but Luton plus one and a quarter is just shy of 1.8 1.78 on the exchange so even if Chelsea win this game by exactly one goal you're still making a half stakes profit as I say no side has been to the Kenny and won by two clear goals and that's despite pretty much all the big guns going to Luton and struggling to some extent so far this season. So um, expect Luton to score. And if they do score, that handicap should be well on your side. Yeah, on the Chelsea side of things, there is, they are a strange team, Mark, aren't they? Because you look at all that talent and you think, oh, well, it's Pochettino's a great coach. He's developed young talent before. There are flashes, aren't there, where it comes together. You look at the game against Palace. They started ever so well. Mudrick's goal, they nearly got another one as well. And they look really good. But I guess that's the the byproduct of having so many young players that they find it really difficult to put together a 90-minute performance. There is that. Yeah, there's also injuries. Uh, I think there's also a lack of consistency with selection at the minute. Um, 
I think the the base of the midfield looks like it could be really promising if it's Caicedo and Gallagher or even Enzo, that, that sort of trio vying for two or three places. You know, there's a real sort of firm foundation to play from there. But defensively, they do look a little bit all over the shop at times. Uh, and I think that's sort of not helped in terms of the, the injuries and the inconsistency of selection. Um, Thiago Silva, um, probably the, the sort of standout player at the back, but he's unable to kind of play consistently, um, you know, in this kind of hectic festive period. So because um, he's 900 he years old, that's <laughs> <laughs> he is, but even he's kind of shown signs of, of kind of weakness in recent weeks too. He's been at fault for a few goals too. Um, the goalkeeping situation has been questionable um, throughout the season, I would say, that the signing of Robert Sanchez uh, was an odd one, I thought. But um, yeah, going forward, I think there's a lot to like. And you mentioned Woodrick there, and I think he's starting to play to the levels we've come to expect when he was first signed. It's taken him a, a while to settle in, but there's been real signs of life. So going forward, I've got no problems uh, individually or kind of collectively as a team. I think they're well capable of creating and scoring even more so now from Kunku. Really excited to see how much of an impact he can have on this Chelsea team. But I don't believe his availability changes um, our rating on Chelsea. I still think they're incredibly untrustworthy, erratic and inconsistent. Yeah, I think Mark's right about Kunku as well. He's not a centre forward per se, but he'll play in lots of different positions and he can bring others into play. He can lead the line. He can do that. That's not necessarily uh, the way you get the best out of him, but I'm fascinated to see what Pochettino does with him in the next few weeks. We know that injury time goals can be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bets. So now you've got 90 minute payout to rescue you. If the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands, your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus begambleaware.org. Tottenham's lack of squad depth was perhaps shown up in their defeat at Brighton. Now they face the football juggernaut that is Andoni Iriola's Bournemouth. Uh, Mark, we said in the summer that Iriola was an exciting appointment by the Cherries, and so it's proving. Yeah, finally, at last. We got <laughs> <I> there. Think... <laughs> We're all Everybody was bit... like, you nerds, you told us Iriola <laughs> was good. He's rubbish, but he's been great. Yeah, and I think full credit to Bournemouth and the board for not panicking because most clubs, I think, would have made a decision before uh, the form turned because Bournemouth were winless in their opening nine games. They'd lost four successive fixtures before the turnaround occurred. But the turnaround has been swift and it's been really, really impressive. Bournemouth are actually top of the eight and ten game form tables in the Premier League. They've won seven from the last nine and their only failures during that nine game sequence were at Man City, which is fair enough, and at home to Aston Villa, where they were much the better side and probably should have won that game as well. Uh, They're going away from home now uh, against Tottenham. They've won the last four away from home and none of it has been fluky either. None of it's, you know, they're not running hot. If you look at the uh, expectations or the underlying performances compared to expectations and expected goals, you know, Bournemouth are third on expected points over the last eight games, which kind of goes to show you know, they're not overachieving at the minute. This is kind of just going to plan. Um, they've actually got and the this second is what best. he did at Raya Vallecano, right? He was able to go to bigger teams and get good results. That's what caught Bournemouth's eye because it wasn't just that Rio overperformed in general. When they came up against Barcelona, Real Madrid, whoever, they were able to more than compete. Yeah, absolutely. He was able to set that team up in a way which we could could thwart bigger and better teams on, on much higher but bigger budgets. And that's been the case with Bournemouth as well. And, you know, we talked early on um, 
you know, the schedule had to be mentioned. It was it was really, really difficult to start the season. Bournemouth were playing a lot of the big guns. It was always going to be difficult anyhow. But he was completely overhauling the playing style as well. That was always going to take time to to to, to bed in, really, uh, from Gary O'Neill. And, um, you know, we're starting to see the, the sort of fruits of that labour, really, because I think as well, credit to the players, because they must have been questioning him and the appointment at that particular stage when things weren't going for them. But clearly they were on board with the ideas and, and they stuck to his plan because the longer term picture which he painted has started to, to turn to him and, and Dominic Solanke's in the form of his life at the minute but he's yeah. he's not the only one he's taking all the credit because Bournemouth across the board have been very very capable and I think this is a real opportunity for them to to pick up a big result against a big team away from home at a big price. And you know, Spurs have been tremendous fun to watch all season, um, quite rightly in the top four running. They've ridden out a storm recently by collecting those those three successive wins. But, you know, the defeat to Brighton, um, a couple of alarm bells there, really. They got picked apart quite easily. And I think you could see how good Brighton can be when they've been given a chance to, to rest and, and refresh a little bit. And they had the rest advantage against Spurs. And I think it did tell for quite some time in that match. But um, I wouldn't say it was the worst first half under Postacoglu, um, but um, it wasn't far off it, really. It was probably the first time I thought they looked a bit wobbly. But um, the frustrating element for me of that Spurs-Brighton game was it's just sort of Bournemouth's price contract immediately after that. So Bournemouth were trading about 4.5 to win at Tottenham. Uh, it's now into 4.2 in the exchange. And I think that's a fair reaction, really, because Spurs, not just that performance against Brighton, but team news-wise, are still back, kind of struggling in terms of getting availability out of the defensive midfield. We know Romero's now injured. Basuma's still unavailable. Richarlison has been carrying a knock recently too. So they're not going to be close to their best 11. None of their injured players or absentees are available again. And I think the foundations of that team in defensive midfield have been picked apart a little bit recently. Um, there's a stat going around, but I think since the start of November, Spurs have conceded the most goals and the highest expected goals figure in the Premier League, which is quite concerning really, especially when you come up against a, a smart side like Bournemouth. But um, even if we go back to the last home game for Spurs, against Everton they started like a train scored those two early goals but then they were put under real pressure yeah. uh, a combination of Vicario and the woodwork kind of keeping them uh, you know in that winning position really and I, I've heard a lot of Spurs fans saying that Everton are probably the best team they've they've faced this season at home in terms of performance levels so Bournemouth come into this with two days extra west compared to Tottenham so uh, again that's an advantage so uh, I was looking at Bournemouth plus one on the Asian handicap at 175 here, which again, Tottenham need to win by two clear goals for this bet to lose. Um, if Bournemouth gets a win or a draw, um, you get paid out really. Uh, a Spurs win by exactly one goal is a push. Um, you'd want to be on the side of goals, obviously, but the market's already well over that. So this feels like a, a good opportunity to get uh, against Tottenham, be with Bournemouth in their current vein of form. And I think the, the market is still adjusting really to Bournemouth's resurgence and um, Spurs is probably lack of availability. Yeah, and just more globally on Spurs, they're kind of where we thought they would be, but they've just got there in a different way. I think we thought under Postacoglu, completely different style of play, hadn't necessarily been able to bed in all of the signings that he wanted. They've signed some, but he'll want much more, I would think, in January. I think we thought first few games they'd be losing, drawing, whatever, but they started so incredibly well. And now they've had the dip. So they've kind of got to where we thought they'd be, but just in the wrong way around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're talking about Bournemouth it taking them time to sort of overhaul their style. It didn't take Spurs long at all under Postacoglu. And um, they're probably still punching further 
or higher up the table than I expected them to be at this stage, um, which is credit to them. But it's, I think it's quite hard to, to read them in terms of their, their highest level right now because the, the inconsistency of selection, the injuries, the suspensions, it, it's been a long time since we've seen a, a first 11 from Tottenham and it's going to be a long time until we see that too because some of these players are going back in mid-January, others are going off to the Asian Cup and the African Cup of Nations as well, which could make them unavailable till, till early February at least. So uh, I think it's hard for Spurs because you, you look around and there are some big teams sort of fluffing their lines a little bit and and Tottenham could be one of those teams to take the opportunity and finish in the top four or, or top five if necessary. But um, unfortunately for them, that they've been struggling with selection. So um, I think the highest level could be really quite exciting. We always knew they were going to be entertaining. They'd score goals. They'd also allow you opportunities to, to score yourself. And I think they will carry on being the great entertainers of the division. But um, I think it's really kind of hard to judge their top level because of all the injuries. But if you get that first 11 out, I think they could be a match for most as as they proved earlier on in the campaign. Maybe Ange will make Daniel Levy start spending some of that sweet, sweet Harry Kane cash. Let's see how it unfolds in the next few weeks. Uh, let's dip into the championship then. You want to talk about Coventry against Swansea. Yeah, so Coventry were the playoff final losers against Luton um, back in May. And they had punched well above their weight to, to be at uh, that particular place and to finish in the top six. They then lost their two standout superstars, really, for, for Coventry. And, and Jokerez going to uh, Sporting for a big money move. And, and Harmer He's done brilliantly, by the way. He's been outstanding yeah. for Sporting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, great to see him achieving it. And Harmer went to Sheffield United as well. And those two, you know, Coventry were much more than some of their parts, but those two were quite clear and above the, the, the standout. Uh, players in that team. So I think understandably they suffered a bit of a hangover at the start of this season after the playoffs, after losing those two key players. But Mark Robbins is such an astute head coach. Um, he was always going to find the right balance, the right formula to to get them back punching. And um, yeah, they're top six material again. They might be sat in 13th, but they're only three points off the playoffs and they're in great form. Five wins in eight, one defeat in 10. And the underlying metrics throughout the campaign, basically since mid-September onwards, have been suggesting they're just on the cusp of, of the top six, really. I've got them ranked seventh on expected points and the very same ranking for expected goals process. And yeah, they come into the game against Swansea at home at the CBS Arena off the back of a a bit of a smashing grab, but even still a 3-0 win at Sunderland, which is no mean feat, and then beating Sheffield Wednesday quite comprehensively uh, at the CBS. So. You know, a big crowd is expected again for this game against Swansea. Uh, I think they are justifiably four to five favourites here, 1.8. I think they're worth a bet at that price. Uh, my numbers make them sub 1.7. Their record at home uh, against the bottom half, five wins from seven unbeaten games. They've only conceded one goal in those seven fixtures as well. Uh, and they're facing a Swansea side that's just suffered a 5-0 thrashing at Southampton. Uh, it means they've lost all six trips to the top half this season. They've also conceded two goals or more in all six of those games. And there's still just a little bit of uncertainty around Swansea at the minute with um, Sheehan still in caretaker charge. They obviously sacked Mike Duff a few weeks back. And um, whereas Coventry just look very strong, stable, solid, traditionally very good at the CBS Arena under Robbins too, um, Swansea are, are probably anything but at the minute. So I think Coventry are four to five on the exchange to win that game. That appeals to me. You can obviously boost the price a lot into sort of odds against territory if you go to the source sports book and back um, Coventry to win and under four and a half goals. They are not the kind of side who will cut loose. So if they are going to win, it's likely to be a 1 0, 2 0, 2 1, 3 0 type of result. You talk a lot about 
you know, your ratings and how you how you judge things over the course of the season. Obviously, we don't want you to re- reveal all of the magic and give away all of your secrets. But what kind of things over the course of the season, what kind of things are you looking at? What kind of trends are you looking at when you're kind of assessing where you think a team will be? Because you'll often say, well, a team's not started very well or they may be, you know, in the bottom four or whatever. Um, but they should be far higher than that on my ratings. So what kind of things are you looking at that that punters might be interested in? Um, I think more recently, because I always find, you know, there's, you know, August and September are littered with sort of caveats, you know, it's the start of the season, new coaches, new players, new systems. It can take time for teams to bed in um, and show their best side, really. So what I have available to me is not just a kind of season-long list of XG numbers, expected points, figures, et cetera, and so on. I've also got it split by sort of form tables, performance data form tables by four, eight, 12, and 16 game splits. And so the 16 game split is always a sort of standout to me, really, because it kind of gives you an idea of how they've been forming in the last three to four months. And I think that's very, very key at this time of the season, really, because that kind of excludes August and September's randomness and gives us an idea of where teams are at right now. with their best squad and arguably their best players available. So that's uh, very key. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've got models which can kind of spit out prices based on either those 16 game form tables or also the the full season long. I I like to compare and contrast between the two, but at this particular point in the campaign, it's such a hectic, hectic period. Um, I'm pretty exhausted trying to sort of work it all out myself. (laughs) So I can't imagine how the players feel. But um, yeah, it's also a case of kind of using your own intuition, overlaying team news, which is massive at this particular time. The weather can also have a big bearing on on matters, especially up in the north of the country over the last week where the storms have been hitting quite badly. Scotland, as we saw, has been battered. So there's a huge amount of kind of variables which I do take into account, some of which don't necessarily move the price, but team news definitely does. And trying to get ahead of the game in that sense um, is always key. Um, Big teams or or bigger squads will often rotate a little bit at this particular time. And trying to sort of get on board with that is is the hard part because sometimes they don't often reveal that information. But um, yeah, I I think the form tables is probably the, the more interesting element. Always thinking, Marco Hare. That's why the uh, bet cave is always red hot as a uh, as a betting den. Uh, let's take it uh, further into the EFL. You've got a double, or certainly a couple of games uh, that you want to talk about. Yeah, so um, I've got a double featuring a team in League Two um, and also a team in the National League, uh, which comes out at five to four. So we are going to back Mansfield to win and Bromley to win. Uh, on Mansfield, we said League Two would be the division to watch this season in our pre-season previews. Um, huge amounts of money sort of swirling around in the fourth tier. Um, you know, a number of sides with big pockets aiming for promotion this season. There are going to be some big clubs missing out. Um, but um, Mansfield are kind of one of the sides who've been there or thereabouts for a number of seasons and never quite made it. Um, but they seem to be kicking themselves into gear this time around. And they look really strong contenders for a top three finish um Nigel Clough obviously still in charge of there but their recent form is is fantastic eight wins from ten they scored at least twice in nine of those ten games they're unbeaten at home all season they've kept seven clean sheets and ten at field field mill as well I have got them rated as the top team in league two across the season so far 
I've also got them the highest side in terms of expected goals output and the best defence as well, which is a hell of a feat, really. Not bad so, going. <laughs> yeah, um, all around, they are top notch and they are playing a Doncaster side who are riddled with injuries. Um, they are really struggling in terms of injuries. And that has been the case throughout the campaign, really. But more recently, they've really started to bite and you can tell by their the results, really. They've lost 5 0, 3 1. And 3-0 in the last three fixtures. Uh, away from home all season, they've lost eight of 11, including all seven trips to top eight teams. And they've considered two goals or more on every trip to the top eight as well. So I'll back Mansfield to win that game and double it alongside Bromley, who are the biggest price of the two. Um, so the National League basically are playing the reverse matches from Boxing Day. So Bromley went to Ebbsfleet. Bromley are second in the National League. Ebbsfleet are in the bottom four. Uh, Bromley went away to Ebbsfleet and won 3-2 on Boxing Day. They will now host Ebbsfleet in the reverse game. And at home, they are super solid. Nine wins from 13. They've scored at least twice in eight of 13. Um, they're five from five when hosting bottom half teams. If you include away games, they are 10 wins from 13 unbeaten against the bottom half. Whereas Ebbsfleet are in the bottom four. They've won just twice since the start of September. They've lost seven of eight against the top seven. They've lost six of eight at top 15 teams, conceding at least three goals on five occasions as well. Um, there is a big difference between the, sort of the top three, four teams in the National League and probably the bottom six of that division too. So I'd expect home advantage to count. But um, yeah, a nice double at five to four between the two teams. Now, if you think of some of the great protest movements of our times, surely none have been as moving or as monumental as the campaign to save Marco Hare's Scotwatch as literally over 10 people have tried to intervene uh, after <laughs> Mark threatened to axe the feature. Mark, have you been moved, influenced by the sheer scale of the uproar? I have, um, you know, more more than ten or ten people. That's a that's an army. Um, I mean, this is this is big news. This is that's a team. It's a first eleven, effectively. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Some of the message were, were incredibly kind. Some quite quite surprising. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, marriage we'll is on the line. We've had everything. Yeah, I mean that, that's mental. But uh, yeah, we'll have we'll, we'll continue Scott Watch in twenty twenty four. I can yes. reveal that officially. Yes. Um, I've got a play from Scotland. It's it's kind of unofficial Scotwatch. So Scotwatch without without <laughs> all the good stuff. Scotwatch. <laughs> it's it's got none of the good stuff. Just just the hard hitting betting facts. But okay, um, shall I shall I reveal that? Of course, yes, please do. It is Marco Hare's bootleg Scotwatch. Oh, aye. Escort watch. Um, yeah, so Hearts play Ross County on Saturday in the Scottish Premiership. I'm not expecting this to be enjoyable, exciting, entertaining. It's going to be quite <laughs> dull, dry, uh, probably quite low scoring as well. As the Scottish Super. Premiership has been for the most part this season, it's averaging just 2.39 goals. Overs has hit in just 43% of the games. BTTS has banked in only 38% of oh matches <laughs> in the top flight. Yeah, it's been pretty dreary. Um, Wednesday's games uh, from Scotland, the, t the few that did go ahead were were pretty dull. And um, so, yeah, just looking at that BTTS hit rate, if we turn that round, it basically says 62% of games have seen BTTS no bank. So turn that 62% hit rate into implied odds. You'd basically be looking at around about 8 to 13 1.62 for a blanket price on, on BTTS no in the Scottish Premiership, which is 
quite low. Well, we're being offered 1.87 here for Hearts versus Ross County. And these two teams are two of the sort of chief protagonists in terms of BTTS no winners so far this season. So they're both really tight defensively, really well organised outfits without a huge amount of cutting edge going forward, probably more so Ross County than Hearts, but even still, collectively, they've kept 16 clean sheets in their combined 36 league matches. Uh, and more recently, their matches have just been really, really dull. So look at the last eight for each team. Hearts have seen just 1.75 goals per game, Ross County 1.88 of those 16 matches, um, half have featured a maximum of one goal and 13 of 16 have seen both teams to score no payout. So wow. the price here is way above what the divisional averages suggest it should be, as well as what both teams are doing in terms of their actual outputs. Um, for example, Hearts have actually kept clean sheets in over half of their league matches. 14 of their 19 have seen both teams to score no, including seven of nine at Tanadice. Uh, Ross County have seen only four of 17 premiership matches feature both teams scoring. And, you know, Derek Adams has gone into that club in the last six weeks or so. None of those matches since he's arrived have featured both teams scoring. The earlier season meeting between the two ended just 1-0. Now, Hearts are being well favoured here, but um, I think that's quite understandable. This game does come hot on the heels of their derby game away at Hibs when they scored a, a tremendous late last gasp winner um, to win the derby. Obviously, fantastic scenes to celebrate that thereafter. So there might be a bit of a come down. Uh, and Ross County themselves had a free midweek after their game at Rangers was postponed. So they should be full of life and well capable. They'll go there with a, a mantle just to, to keep things tight and, and be difficult to beat an awkward opposition. So, yeah, I'm not expecting this to, to escalate into anything high scoring. Uh, and just to surmise, we've got both teams to score here at 1.87. Both teams to score no at 1.87. <laughs> um, that has collectively won in 28 of their combined 37 games, which is a 76% hit rate. Well, Mark has done so much for uh, Scottish football, but the Scottish Premiership <laughs> <laughs> tourist boards, if you like, will will not be happy. Well, what's quite um, interesting about that sort of goals per game output is ordinarily it would be above 2.5 just because the big hitters of Rangers and Celtic would be dominating that division, racking up three, oh, four, so five goals. smashing teams like five, six, seven. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. it can happen at times. But we've seen Celtic obviously have a, a massive wobble in recent weeks and Rangers have had a, a difficult start and are starting to sort of find their feet too. But that, that's quite interesting. Normally that figure is a, a little bit higher than that, but it just means outside of the big two who do dominate most of the, the goal markets in terms of the outputs, um, it's not been particularly enthralling. Um, so quite happy to kind of swim against the tide there. But the BTTS market is, is not far off of Flippum, um, which doesn't make sense to me here. Is it... A bit of a talent drain thing, do you think, with the big two in Scotland? Because they're increasingly finding it, even though they're in Europe every season, pretty much. They seem to be finding it really difficult to compete with. I mean, they certainly can't compete with Premier League clubs. I imagine they're probably finding it tough, even financially, to compete with some of the top championship clubs as well. So it's quite difficult. I mean, we saw Scott, we saw Celtic in the Champions League, nowhere near the level. Rangers, to be fair, under Philippe Clement won their group in the Europa League and won a Real Betis. So that was an amazing result. But generally, it's quite hard for them to compete, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, it's hard to uh, hard to sort of open this can of worms of where, where Celtic and Rangers would be if they were based in, in England. Would they be bottom half Premiership, Premier League or sort of upper Championship? It's, it's hard to figure out. But Celtic, I think last season under Bostokoglu gave it a right good go and, and sort of put... 
Real Madrid and I think it was RB Leipzig under under real pressure at times in their group games, but ultimately ended up with nothing. But yeah, Rangers in terms of Europe have been actually quite quite good in recent years, didn't they? Reach the Europa League final not long ago. They did yeah, lost say, to Frankfurt on penalties. Yeah, a few sides in in in, um, in the Championship or even the lower half of the Premier League would be able to go to Betis and get a result as well. So credit to them for that. But yeah, it, it's hard I think because they do have reasonable amounts of cash to spend but well at least by by Scottish standards and Celtic I thought were, were quite smart in what they did but after Postacoglu arrived he obviously had the an eye on on Asia and they went over there and, and shopped in Asia and made some really good finds and did some really good business which um but since then it's kind of gone a little bit flat and the talent elsewhere in the premiership is is probably a bit lacking um ordinarily if you kind of go back a, a decade or so Celtic and Rangers would traditionally just take the the bigger fish from from elsewhere similar to what Bayern Munich used to do in, in the Bundesliga really but that's not happened as often as not enough really and if you look outside of the big two you know I don't think Scottish Premiership fans would be offended to say that the teams, the other teams in the Premiership would probably struggle to to compete in the top half of the Championship. You'd probably be looking beyond that, really, um, and especially the bottom end of the Premiership. They'd be probably League One or League One standards. So, um, I think standards across the board really have kind of fallen a little bit by the wayside in recent seasons. Yeah, that's why Mark often looks outside the top flight in Scotland uh, for his bets and entertainment. That's all we have time for on this holiday edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. It's our final show of the year, but we will be back with a bang in January 2024, a big year for us, as we'll be covering domestic football, European football, and of course, building up to the European Championships in Germany. Remember, all of our shows now on Betfair's new YouTube channel for non-racing content, so make sure you like and subscribe to join that growing army of fans who never miss a show from Mark and from me and indeed all of the team at Football Only Better. Happy New Year and it's goodbye for now.